Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. A side drink. You drink from the side of your mouth. Yeah, see? It works perfectly. Cheers. Cheers. Happy days in African bush. I know. Could be a lot worse. Bring that, yeah, bring that a little closer to you. Not right next to you, because then you'll hear you're breathing. You're not breathing anymore? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring it a little closer to your mouth. I'm too scared to breathe now. Bring it a little closer to your mouth. You can't really drink with this thing on, at the side of your mouth. When you talk about Africa... It's quite important to have a <coughs> a cold beverage in hand. So do you think uh, South African beers are better than American beers? I'm probably the last person to ask because I actually prefer light American beers. You do? Yeah. Like Man. The cheaper, the better. Okay. Light American beer. I'd say it's like when I go to the States, I have to have a Diet Dr. Pepper, a pack of Cheetos, and a Coors Light. Oh, and you chose like the worst light beer of them all. It's glorious. It's terrible. Glorious. Well, we are sitting in oh, about 100 kilometers from the Zim border. Closer. Closer. As a crow flies, 35 kilometers. Wow. Plus minus. And you hunt this property. Yeah. And you are? Craig Martins. I'm a father, a husband. No, I'm joking. I watched a lot of Blood Origins episodes, so I thought I'd throw that in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, Craig Martins, I'm a professional hunter in South Africa uh, and have been since 1999. And uh, father before you was a professional hunter? Yeah, Barcy Martins. uh, He started in Southwest Africa 
uh, well, Namibia, formerly Southwest Africa. And he guided his first client, a man by the name of Elgin Gates, who's, I wouldn't say very famous in the hunting circles, but back in those days, he was one of the pioneers of, I'd say, almost trophy collecting, going out and collecting different, no, uh, let me rephrase that. I think just collecting different species of animals all over the world. Um, he wasn't so much interested in size or anything. He just wanted to collect different species of animals. And so he came out, started with my dad in 1959. And I've actually still got, he had to take out a small game license. And I've got the original piece of paper f of that oh, license. Yes, of that license from, I think it was 1 or 5 May 1959. Do you think that Barsi is the original? Like, would he be classified as the first PH? Mm, I th in Southern Africa, he was definitely one of the pioneers. Like, in terms of physical, like, licensed professional hunter through well, he the was, States? He was the first licensed professional hunter or operator in Southwest Africa. His license is number one. He actually, from my understanding and recollection of talking to him about it, he helped them set up the system in Southwest Africa. If was Southwest Africa bef uh, in front of South Africa? Yes, it was in front of South Africa. I think South Africa picked up more into the early 70s when it comes to what they were doing, what he was doing in the late 50s. And I think in between that period, I stand correct, but you could have even had Botswana, where... Kenya closed and the guys came down from East Africa and came down into Botswana and started setting up a system, you know, to be able to, one, hunt the animals legally in the country with quotas and have a system where the animals would be <coughs> basically quota set, legally hunted, paperwork, documentation to help those outfitters get the animals exported to right. different countries. Right. So that whole system didn't even exist i mean they had you know no no idea what to do actually in that story with my father and his first client my grandfather owned a gun shop in vintuk and my father obviously when he left south africa finished school and he went up to namibia to help my grandfather in the gun shop a lot of the farmers as far and wide as botswana and Hanzi, would come into the gun shop and asked my grandfather to fix the guns. And my dad would then say to him, no problem, he'll, he'll bring them out to the farm and come drop them off free of charge. Right. And obviously the farmer would say, well, you know, if you feel like hunting anything while you're here, sure, sure. Um, go ahead. And so he became kind of known as the guy to take you hunting for locals. Yeah, yeah. And guys in government came in and they said, man, they've received this letter from this man in California. And he wants to come and shoot our five species that we have here in in Namibia. What are we going to do? And that's where it started. But then wow. they had to figure out how to do it. Wow. And he picked him up in a little Datsun 1400 Bucky, which maybe you can Single explain. Single cab, tiny. <laughs> I don't think there is. It's almost, it's like the old school Ford Rangers, but like Smaller. lower class yeah. than that. And he picked, he picked this man and his father up in that, the airport, and the three of them. But it's, it's a single cab, I know, right? but they all piled into the front, and off they went. 
into wherever. Wherever. And what were they? Sh- what were they hunting? Hemsbok? Predominantly Hemsbok, Kudu, Red Hartebeest, Hartman Zebra, and Springbok. Okay. Those were the, the five. Those were the five species. And I think my father, <coughs> I know that he shot. He guided him on his first Hemsbok, and my dad, you know, walked up, took out his knife, and as meat hunters, they would get the knife and they would cut the neck. Mm-hmm. And my dad walked up and took this beautiful. 40 plus inch Gemsbach bull and cut its neck and Arjun was whoa 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 I need to skin this and take it home as a trophy so he had to show my father how to skin it wow. as a trophy wow had no idea that's crazy well today people are still chasing trophies they are they are and I think if you look back then you had five five species to hunt in 30 days and now South Africa you have 25 species that we're able to hunt and some some of those we can some of those are being hunted and guided in 10 days mm-hmm. all you know, 25 yeah well no not all 25 but I'm saying 25 different sure, sure. different animals you know some of the species you've got three or four like your springbuck slabs and stuff like that but with game farming and the success of the game farming model in Southern Africa, even as as far as Zambia now, <clears throat> you know you're able to to acquire more more animals. So you on have, a safari. Do, would you say based on you starting in 1999 and we're sitting in 2021, do you have more options and more properties with more wildlife today than you had when you first started? Definitely, definitely. I was talking the other night with a good friend of mine, Howard Knott, and you know we were saying how difficult it is to when we even when he started, and that was in the eighties, I believe, and you know even up until when I started, how hard it was to find an animal like a Cape buffalo to hunt in South Africa. I mean, there was a small amount of them up on the eastern side, and then let's say further south southeast in northern Natal, that side, from my recollection, I mean, you couldn't just find a Cape buffalo to, to hunt. It was difficult to find one, and you almost had to book a year in advance or two years in advance because it was a very limited quota. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now, I, would, I don't want to stay there around every corner, but in one phone call, you know, you, I can arrange to a property that has buffalo. I mean, the property we're sitting on, Right. We both know. I mean, there's over 120 buffalo here free roaming. And, yeah, it's it's just amazing how in these last 23, 24 years, if my math is correct. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, 23, 24. Um, how that's changed. And it goes as far as exotics like your sable and your own antelope. They're also very, very difficult to find back then. And right. and now you know they but not they're exotics more from non-natives, just exotics as in that existed rare species. Rare species. They I mean they always existed in South Africa, um, but now they're just more accessible. They're more. There is obviously with through the game farming of these species, there's a lot more, a lot more of them around. And other species being introduced from your lechwe, um, or like your lechwe, which you could only go to certain countries for. You know, they've been introduced into South Africa, doing very well, um, regulated, and you're now able to also, you know, guide on species such as those. 
Which is the red letter included in the 25? No. 25 South African species. South African species, yeah. So it doesn't include the fallow, the ardad, the no. lechware, whatever else. No. Okay. And a lot of people, I mean, if you physically sit down, and you also got to look at, and I'm not one for numbers, and I'm not one to dwell too much on all these things. You know, your springbuck slam, is, it, is your Kalahari different to your cape? You know, and they are, it's still a springbuck. You know, when it comes to your your copper, your black springbuck, your white springbuck, your cape springbuck, you know, your Kalahari springbuck. I mean, the other four are generally the same size, but your Kalahari just in body mass yeah. and horn length yeah. have always been bigger. Yeah. So is that two or one? You yeah. know what I mean? But there's five there. Same so with the Impalas. Impalas <coughs> to me, there's always just one. Yeah. I mean, it's one Impala that goes from here all the way to East Africa. And then now you're getting to East African Impala, which size-wise... I mean, it's just remarkably bigger, mm -hmm. um, but it's still an impala. What about the black impala or the black-faced impala? Um, Robbie, that's just that's still to me an impala. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Mm. You know, they're not necessarily m much bigger in in body. The black impala, you know, body size, and your black-faced impala body size. But if you look at the horn length, they also fall in the same category as your southern impala. Um, but where your East African pilot, just in horn length, is much bigger. Yeah. So would that be two impalas then in Africa? or? Because yeah. remember, that. even with your color variance on, let's say, a species like the wildebeest, it's still a blue wildebeest. Right. It's still documented as a blue wildebeest. As a, as a blue wildebeest. But color variance, I mean, that's, that's a whole other discussion. And that's what I'm saying. If you... <clears throat> if you add them up, all these species in, in Southern Africa or South Africa, you normally come to 25. So we're sitting on a farm of, what how would say, 25,000 hectares? I think he's, let's say roughly 20,000 hectares. So what's it, times 2.4? 2.2, I think. So 50,000 acres. Yeah. Yeah. You said these buffalo are free roaming. So, free roaming, they occur on the. But there's 50, a high 000. fence around 50,000 acres. Correct. Correct. In your opinion, those buffalo are still free roaming? Born and bred and raised on the property and able to move in, in and out. Yeah, but with so that definition, it could be 1,000 acres. <coughs> 100%. Still free roaming? Still, uh, if you put a buffalo down and. It's a term. It's not a, a scientific term. Mm -hmm. A scientific term for free roaming would be something of the equivalent of, you know, elk hunting in some of your national parks in America. Mm -hmm. um, and if we delve into the whole term of free roaming, I should probably just use, you know, a different term, maybe fair chase. Okay. Um, instead of free roaming. Yeah. You know, fair chase in the sense... Fair chase and 50,000 acres. Right. And that buffalo knows that 50,000 acres are a lot better than you and me. And we have all the tools in our advantage. We have a vehicle we can drive around, and we've got excellent trackers that we can follow them, and we can get all the things right. Doesn't mean you're going to get a buffalo here. It's you're amazing work for driving it. around here, and I think this is another misconception of hunting, is you've got a road system in this property. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the statistic out of Kruger National Park once was Kruger National Park is 2.2 million hectares and the road system covers 1% of the land. And someone figured it out. Like, okay, you can see 500 foot on each side of the road. Okay, multiply that by the amount of road coverage that there is on a property. That's how much you can possibly see. Yeah. Okay. So you look at a place like Howard's, driving through the thickets that he has, and he has a lot of thickets. You don't get to you don't get to see much of the property from the vehicle. No. From the vehicle, you don't. Yeah, but even on foot, on if foot, you, it's probably even less. Oh, much less. Any time you see the expanse, is if you go up into the hills. So you'll get to see the property from the hill. But once you're down on foot, or even in the vehicle, you don't actually see that much anymore. It's so I agree the concept with you. of fair chase. You know that the the misperception of fair chase is that people come to Africa, like somebody came onto this property and said, "I'm going to come hunt here. I'm going to come hunt a zebra, a kudu. That's what they're known for. Yeah. It was kudu here. It's not simply drive around. Oh." pick out your kudu, stop the vehicle, let's walk back and we'll shoot that kudu. No, I wish it was at times, but no, it's not. It's difficult. It's difficult to find the kudu, number one, because you've been here now a few days and we can drive a road and turn around and drive back in 20 minutes and the elephant's crossed our tracks. Mm -hmm. Because there's such an expanse and bush and cover <coughs> for these animals, you know, nine out of ten times, there's a certain amount of luck involved. Unless you cut the track and you and you see it's a big kudu track, for instance, and you just follow it, then you're able to follow it, and the soil's correct, and you're able to keep on the track, and you've got a very good tracker who can do it, and you stay on it. You've probably got a good chance of finding it then, if the wind is in your favour and everything else, and you don't bump another animal on the way, which you probably we will. You might come up to that kudu. So you really an need, elephant or especially on this property, you might bump, bump a black rider if you go through some th thick bush. Yeah, that won't be much fun. Yeah, and so there's so many, so many factors that are actually working against you while you're on foot, especially, and while you're driving around, it's a measure of luck almost, mm. lack of a better a measure of luck that you actually, oh, there was we just went past a nice kudu or. Oh, there's a very nice kudu in the distance. Mm -hmm. Or you sit on the side of the hills, the kopis, and you glass, and you see a kudu in the in the brush, and you get closer and you walk in, and then you track that kudu, and hopefully not bust another animal, not have the wind going against you, not have the animal see you, etc., etc. So I guess that ties into, to me, that's fair chase. I Why mean, do you think there's a perception that South African hunting is not fair chase? I think South Africa, perhaps we are we're guilty of, of that perception being out there where, you know, people have come out and said they've hunted on small areas and, you know, that, and you've got to understand that the law, the law in the country will state what size an animal is allowed to be hunted on and the law, and the law can get challenged and, it might not be t ethical, but there's a line between ethical and legal. Mm -hmm. And legally, the animal can be hunted 
be put on a certain size area and be hunted on a certain size area legally. Does that make an experience that I want to to do or you or any client? You know, every person's different. It's not something I want to do. But legally, it's legal. You know, if it's a thousand hectares and it is high fenced and it has a certificate of adequate enclosure, which is issued by the Nature Conservation Authority of that province, and in that certificate it stipulates five, six, seven, eight, nine different species, you're going to take so much off a year and you go there and there's a hundred kudu and you can shoot a hundred kudu and on a thousand hectares it's a legal hunt. Right. That's legal. That right. is the law. Um, it's just not something I want to do. But I think that's where this whole perception perhaps of non-fair chase hunting in South Africa has stemmed from. You know, it starts with something small like that and then People come in, hunt, go back, say, well, it wasn't a huge expanse. Right, we had to go through multiple we gates. We had to go through multiple gates. It felt like we were in different pastures. You know, I've heard that for, that term a lot. It felt like yeah. we were hunting in a lot of different pastures, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I'm I'm not of that profes- type of professional hunter or outfitter that wants to, to hunt on small pasture properties. Mm-hmm. Um but with that being said, you know, the further south you go, like they say towards the Cape Town area, there aren't big game farms down there. You know, just outside of Cape Town, there's a beautiful game farm, 1,400 hectares. But land is extremely expensive. Right. And it's a great little game farm. And you don't doesn't shoot a lot of animals there, but it's only 1,400 hectares. And you get off and you walk everything on foot, but you are always going to hit a fence at some point. Mm-hmm. But it's just the economics of the whole situation. The man would love to have 14,000 hectares. But no one has 14,000 hectares available for hunting an hour outside of Cape Town. Yeah. So, and I've I've hunted there. So, you know, it's not a case of um, saying that everyone with a thousand hectares. Then, maybe? Is it like... Exactly. That's uh, It's completely tied would you, to the let experience. Let me ask this. Would you, if you could drive around that 1,400 hectares and hunt it, would you still hunt it? You can drive around. There's enough roads to drive around it. But I just don't. Because mm. that's not the experience that I want to give. Yeah. So, I mean, this topic, we can definitely spend, I've always said I don't think I could podcast for now, but this topic you could you could discuss for now and you can go backwards and forwards. And what you just said now, I think it really sums it up. It's the experience. How, what experience are you going to give your hunter, your client, that he goes back and has a favorable answer to a question about South Africa? Or do you not care? Okay, well, and the let, guy let me, just comes let out. Let me dissect them, and I'll play devil's advocate for a second. Hunter A comes to South Africa, has a favorable experience. And it was a small enclosed area, and he whacked and stacked. Five animals, six animals, five days. Had the time of his life. Goes back to America. Says, I've had the time of my life. But when people hear the t- the t- the experience he had that was the time of his life, they're like, oh, that's not hunting. So that's... So is that now, is that favorable experience good for hunting in South Africa? In my opinion, no. It's not the experience I would have wanted to give my clients. 
is it a positive boost for South Africa that he's saying he had a great hunt in South Africa? He loved it. Accommodations were great. His professional hunter was engaging. He really enjoyed the hunt, etc., etc. That's a positive. Okay. That's a positive for South Africa. If someone hears that and says, well, you weren't really hunting, that's a small pasture, that's a this or a that. That's, I mean, yeah. That's a preference. Thing. That's a preference thing. And, you know, it's some, I, I would say, I typ typically would use the term, it's an ethics thing. But somebody has corrected me in the past that I use ethics incorrectly. Yeah, so it's I've a preference thing. It's a thing like, are you comfortable with that? If you are, then... But my, I would take it a step back. As an outfitter, I feel it's my responsibility to tell the client exactly what situation he's going into. So, person A, you sitting with me at a show in the States, or we're discussing on email, or now we, you know, we pick up the phone quite readily. You've got apps like WhatsApp. You can just call someone. Right. You can have an actual conversation with someone. And I'll say, this is exactly where we're going. Wait, let me step back again. What would you like to do? What species would you like to hunt in South Africa while you're here? Where are you going? And he says, I'd like to be A, B, C, D. These are, this is what I'd like to do, where I'd like to be, this different province. And if you then say, perfect, here are all the facts. Here are the facts. This is exactly where we're going. This is the size of it. And if you open and honest from the beginning... And say to him, this is the exact experience you're going to get. And he would then go back as a happy person. But someone else says, well, that's, you know, that wasn't a big farm. Or that wasn't, it was hunted in pastures or whatever the case may be. Then that's just someone else's preference. But you've never lied. You've never made something out to be what it's not. Mm. So, like I said, we don't want to use a throw on ethics just the whole time. But that is your ethical, to me as an outfitter, that is my, what I should be doing, mm. is informing the person exactly where they're going. And I think a lot of times that might not happen. And the wool's kind of pulled over the eyes. And they come out expecting A oh, and getting and they get B. something else. And they get B. And unfortunately, any any profession in the world, and, and it, it's frustrating that you know, hunters or, or professional hunters or outfitters, you know, we all get, you know, what is the saying? Tarnished with the same brush or, Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Lumped um, in the same category. And, you know, the one is just like the other. You know, there's, unfortunately, there's, there's people in any professional profession. So a professional hunter, any professional in a profession out there, you always got some that don't abide by the rules. Don't, you know, sure. don't stick to the norms and standards. Sure. Um, don't, and I, don't, I could say, I would feel strong enough to say, please, you cannot tell me that you've never had the wool pulled over your eyes. Mm -hmm. If you're going to, I mean, I hate to throw out a name, so like a lawyer or a dentist or a doctor or whatever, but I'm sure everyone's had an experience right. there too. And when they come back, what do they do? Well, don't you, I don't think you should use that person again. I don't think you should go to that doctor. Mm -hmm. And then you can make your own decision up. Mm -hmm. But we didn't say, or no one said in that conversation, all doctors, all doctors are right. unethical. Right. 
I've never heard that being said. Or plumbers, or electricians. The whole industry is unethical. And you why go to a plumber in Arizona? Because all plumbers now in Arizona are unethical. Yeah, right. And that's that's what it really comes down to. That's the real nuts and bolts of it. And I think when I have discussions about you know what we're now going around in, in not in circle, but what we've been discussing now, that's kind of my comeback. Okay. Why tarnish all of us? So for those listening who have never hunted in South Africa, safe to come here? Good to come here? Hundred percent. My opinion without COVID and what we're going through now. South Africa is one of the finest hunting destinations in Africa. For the ease of access to getting into the country, the amounts of species we can hunt, the enjoyment of the safari. I mean, you know, you can go from tropical bush on the coastal, you know, coastal areas of the Eastern Cape to where we are in Mopani Bushveld in one country. Mm-hmm. Country, not even, I actually think Texas is bigger in South Africa. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm. But let's say they're, let's say they're yeah. on par. Yeah. The amount of diversity, diversity of yeah. biodiversity in this country. The dual mountains. I mean, I on the felt. way here, we went through a tropical town where they're growing avocados and they have one of the highest rainfalls in the area. And 30 minutes later, we were in Mopani Scrub Bushveld. Right. And just the diversity. So yes, South Africa, in my opinion, can give any hunter experienced non-experienced first timers can give them a true hunting experience safe open you know for business. open for business and we we're here to ensure your safety we're here as outfitters to ensure your enjoyment while you're on safari i mean that is it's your safari and i always tell people leave the details to me this is your holiday i know what you want to do i'm going to make sure that you i can you know, put you in in front of the animals that you would like to to take, like to to hunt, and I'll make sure that the camp is fine and the food is hot and you have a hot bed. You know, I mean, a hot shower and a comfortable bed. Definitely hot beds here. Yeah, <laughs> sweating our asses well, off. For night. some people, some people you'd think they'll be used to the heat a bit by now, but <laughs> <laughs> at least it's not humid. But no, I mean, South Africa, you're here on your holiday, enjoy it, and we're open for business now. I mean. COVID is, has had a profound effect, profound sorry, effect on, on the industry, the whole tourism industry in South Africa. Yeah, not just hunting. Not just hunting. I mean, I have a sister who's in the you know, hospitality industry, hotel industry, and I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really had a huge effect on, on our economy, on us, on families, on friends, I mean, mo- a huge effect. So I think it's good we get a message out there to people say, you know, we're open. It's safe. Yeah. And, and it's I safe think, for many factors. Yeah, and I think Delta and United are going to start flying direct down here in June, starting in June. I got here via Doha. Um, the flight in is obviously a very, very long flight, unfortunately, because you have to spend a good layover in whether it's Doha or Amsterdam. I don't know if they're flying through Frankfurt at this stage. But there's always mm. a layover coming down because you have to get on that late night flight to come, you know, overnight down to South Africa. Lufthansa landed just before you. Yeah. <coughs> from yep. Frankfurt. Yeah. 
so they're all they're all flying Ethiopian Airlines is open it's you know the flight is an extra right now an extra 14 hours because you have to go via the Middle East or Europe but you can get here and you know as I said to you it was you know I had a preconceived notion even though I'm South African I had a preconceived notion of you know what is this what is the COVID safety going to look like here in you know South Africa and there's a public mask mandate so every time you're in public you have to have your mask on and everybody has masks on not just like you know everyone like the people getting in the taxis the people standing on the side of the roads everyone's got masks on which is crazy that was a that blew my mind every time you go into like you had to go back into the the airport because we forgot something your hands are sprayed with sanitizer like you don't have to worry about it these this guy's standing at every single entry and exit of shopping markets sorry when you enter the mall your hands get sprayed any shop you enter into if you went into the liquor store, your hands are going to get sprayed. You go Just into the supermarket, your hands are going to get sprayed. Your temperature is taken. These guys, it's actually more rigorous than America. You don't have mm. any of that stuff in America. So if anybody's worried, these guys are jacked up and ready. And I think you almost need to to look at that. You're kind of in a, a bubble right. when you're on a game farm. You know, everyone on the game farm even through COVID lockdown last year, like no one went out. You know, this is probably one of the safest places to be is on a game farm in the middle of the bush, away from towns, away from cities. You have no interaction with anyone out here. We arrive here and you're here for seven days, 10 days, however long it's going to be. And then you go back back into Joburg and you go through that whole... You get your COVID test, which is now mandatory to get home. Super easy to get here, right? Super easy to get. And you get your PCR test um, for 72 hours, 72-hour PCR test. Easy to get to fly here and to before you leave. But it's a quicker test leaving. It's a quicker PCR. It doesn't take 72 hours here. What, to get the actual result or how long it's... No, to get the actual result. No, no, it's, I mean, it's 6 to 12 hours. It's crazy. Some guys are getting it even faster. No, it's crazy. Like, I had to call for my results uh, at the, like, 50-hour mark. No. I mean, you can go to a local I mean, a local GP and you do your little test and the labs will pick it up, let's say, midday, and the guys are getting their results within six hours. I mean, it's not all over, but that is that is what's happening in certain, in certain places. Remember, there's different labs as well. Right. Um, you know, you've got three big companies in South Africa and each one of them is a little different. Um, so yeah, you get your test and then off you go. I mean, then you're going and you're at the airport and you're getting your hand sprayed and you're getting your temperature checked. And actually, when we, you know, when we forgot something, you had to run back into the airport. I don't know if you realized there was a guy at the desk and we just had to sanitize. But he has a little scene there where he's going to take your check your temperature. He's checking your temperature And then he also in. checks your, it looks like your heat signature. Like, yeah, if you have right, a cold right. or something. Right. Um, and you're going to show your COVID test when you're checking. Yep, I did you're that. COVID I free. had to do that. And you're going to climb on your airplane. So once you're here and you're on the ground, you're almost in a, a safety bubble where you are out on those farms. Mm-hmm. And that's something to just consider. You know, you, you are definitely having more contact back home than you're ever going to get on safari. Guaranteed. Right.
and all the COVID protocols are in place in camps and vehicles. I mean, we, we've made sure of that. Sure, sure. Well, it's certainly been an adventure already, and uh, we're only halfway through. Yeah. Big drive tomorrow. <laughs> What's a drive? It's nothing. It's in terms nothing. of American standards. Exactly. We ride. Blood Origins, we drive a lot. I was going to say, I mean, I see and talk to you while you're driving sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I guess that's why you enjoy your podcast so much. I guess that's why yeah, you, this you is going to be my... You are a brand new podcaster. I'm, I'm an absolute newbie, and I think I should state that, that I have made some comments about podcasts. This is your first podcast ever, right? This will probably be the first podcast that I ever listened to from start <laughs> So from start to finish. <laughs> and oh. I've made comments about it's like watching golf and all the rest of it. But right. um doing one now. And it's just a it's yeah, it's just a great way to chat about things. And oh I know. It's a be- it's a better way to get into an in depth conversation that somebody in America is gonna go, Oh man, I may want to go to South Africa now and hunt. Yeah. And and you just not know unless you're sitting with someone or on a phone call with someone, you're not going to know some of this stuff. Exactly. You're not going to know, you know, why or the how or what it takes. And, I mean, everything is different. But, yeah, I think this is a great thing. I think I might have might have been missing out here for for a while. Yeah, for sure. Or maybe I'm just used to South African accents and yours was just too... There we go. Too, too well, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's great. Thanks so much. Till the next one. Glad, you, glad you're here. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.